Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. It's been almost one full year of Candid Catholic Convos, and I have to say, one of my favorite things about running this program has been getting to talk to other Catholics from all walks of life, from young to old, cradle Catholics to converts to reverts, priests, religious, laymen, and laywomen who are all just trying to spread God's love in the world. I'm really excited to introduce you to another such person, our capstone speaker for this year's Women's Conference, who's taken God's calling of spreading the good news to a whole new level. Speaking of the conference, if you haven't registered for this year's Diocesan Women's Conference yet, there's still time. Go to hbgdiocese.org slash women and click register now to sign up before doors close on October 9th. And now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Meg Hunter-Kilmer. Meg, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to be talking to you, especially about the Women's Conference coming up. I've kind of been fangirling a little bit over being able to talk to you today. I am really excited to be coming to this conference. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. So would you mind, for people who aren't familiar, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Meg Hunter-Kilmer. I am a missionary and an author and a speaker and an aunt and a godmother and a really big fan of the Olympics. Uh, And those are most of the important things about me. I love Jesus a lot. um, And I am always excited to talk about him. Wow. So you are really just a Jill of all trades. You've got a lot going (laughs) on. I love that. So your website says that you're a speaker, blogger, and hobo for Christ, which are three things that I don't think I've ever said together in the same sentence. (laughs) And that you also live in your car and you travel all over the world spreading Christ's love. So I'm probably dating myself here, but all I can think of is that skit with Chris Farley where he says, you know, he lives in a van down by the river. So modernizing a little bit, (laughs) what does it look like living as a digital nomad for Christ? And how did you recognize God's call to do this? Yeah. So I'm a little bit different from Chris Farley and like maybe every way. Um, (laughs) I don't, I don't live in my car. I live out of my car. So everything I own is in my car, but I sleep in strangers houses, um, which, you know, people are always like, oh my gosh, you sleep in your car. And I'm like, no, no, I sleep in strangers houses. And they're like, oh, that's better. (laughs) I don't really know if it is, um, but you know, it's been 10 years that I've been living out of my car and nobody's tried to murder me yet. Or if they did, they were really bad at it and I didn't notice. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I was a teacher before I moved into my car and I just knew that God was calling me out of the classroom and I wasn't really sure what that was going to look like. And this just made sense and it objectively doesn't, right? Like I'm, I'm super type A, I'm very achievement oriented. And I was sitting there like, yeah, I should definitely go to my high school reunion where a dozen of my classmates literally work for NASA. And I should be like, yeah, guys, I live in a car. And that seems like a good idea. And since it's objectively not, and it's very contrary to what I would naturally be inclined to, I was like, it's gotta be a God thing, right? Like I 
wouldn't, I wouldn't make this up myself. Uh, and so I just trusted that if there was a lot of peace in something that, that seemed really irrational in a lot of ways that it had to be from the Lord. So you know, I thought it was going to be for two months. It's been 10 years, 50 States, 25 countries. I've driven, I don't know, like 320,000 miles at this point. Uh, so it seems I was pretty spot on in my discernment there. Absolutely. Talk about, talk about a calling and being able to listen to it. That's intense and also a type A personality. I'd be like, um, excuse me, what are you talking about? I'm not sure. Right. I must be reading this wrong. That's, yeah. yeah. I can't be real. I can't be real. <laughs> Your social media presence is one that I really admire because you seem to truly see every person you meet, regardless of their color, creed, trauma history, or sexual orientation as a child of God. And you treat them accordingly, which is something that we're all called to do. And you regularly have the courage to tackle some pretty polarizing topics, both within the church and with society as a whole. Most of that is ugly and heartbreaking. Um, How do you find the balance and the courage in loving people as they are, yet too much to let them stay that way when it feels discouraging at at every turn, especially in the comment section on the Internet? Oh, girl. Especially in the comment section. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that there are certain struggles that people have where it, it's easier for me to be like, oh, like this is rooted in trauma and I need to be compassionate and I need to understand this person. And and there are others where I'm like, no, like you're just a rotten jerk. Um, and and that's where, you know, like it's very natural for me if I'm talking to somebody who, you know, has a an interesting approach to sexual ethics um, to be like, Oh, like I know that this comes from brokenness and I know that they've probably been wounded by the church. And then there are people with other like political persuasions or people who like congratulate themselves really hard on being Catholic and are like catty and ugly where I'm like, Nope, you're just a rotten person. And I feel like, okay. So first of all, this person also is probably speaking from trauma and brokenness because we all of us are. And second of all, it actually doesn't matter because they are wildly delighted in by God the Father, regardless of whether they have an excuse for their behavior, which doesn't in any way negate the fact that that behavior isn't acceptable, right? Um, And I think that that's, I, I always tend to air on the side of you are loved and you are delighted in and and I I want to make sure that I do make that clear like that doesn't excuse behavior and that doesn't mean that we don't have to have boundaries and that that doesn't mean that we necessarily have to reconcile with people who have wounded us like to forgive and to be reconciled are two different things but always just to go back to that initial posture of reverence before the other which again, is easier in some relationships than in others, is easier with some some identities that people find themselves in rather than others. Um, and so I really have to take a step back when I want to react to somebody just in, in scorn and in derision and remind myself, like, the God of the universe has been thrilled by the very idea of the existence of this person since before there was time. And I am treating him like he's a piece of garbage that I would like to set on fire so that I never have to think about it again. Like, who am I? <laughs> who am I to do this? Um, and so it's always, I'm always trying to come back to that, that posture of reverence um, and of honoring the dignity of the person that I encounter and speaking with tenderness and gentleness because I think that that's how we really encounter the heart of Jesus is when when we hear him in that 
gentleness that then he can say to us, okay, and now, now that you understand how much I love you, we got to be better than this. Like we got to be better than this. Um, and I think as Catholics, you know, we're always being called to confession. We're always being reminded of the teachings of the church. And so that, that call to deeper holiness is always there, which I think is a great gift. Cause I think there are some, some denominations in, in the Christian tradition where the overt moral teaching isn't necessarily as strong. And so it can be easy then for that reverence for the other just to become complacency mm-hmm. uh, and and never a call to deeper holiness. Um, but yeah, I think the, the last couple of years, especially God has really been asking me to be very, to take risks on social media, which I hate. I just want everybody to be happy and like each other. And I, and I want everything to be easy and I don't want anybody to be mad at me ever. Um, and the Lord is just like, okay, uh, I want you to write about gun reform. And I'm like, oh, that cannot, that cannot be the thing that we're doing right now. And he's like, okay, and now I want you to talk about abortion. And now I want you to talk about homosexuality. And now I want you to talk about racism. And I'm like, oh, none of these, can we just be like, Jesus loves you. And he's like, yep. But also that means standing up for the marginalized. And I, I really feel like in the last several years, God has asked me to be sort of a voice for the marginalized and standing in the breach um, and really just making it clear to everybody that this is their church and that they're loved and that they're welcome exactly as they are uh, and that God is always going to call every one of us to deeper holiness. And yet there's a lot of ugliness that comes in the comments, no matter how clear you are, right? Like I, I wrote a post to LGBTQ plus Catholics just being like, it's good that you exist and God loves you and you are a gift to our church. And I said in that post, I believe everything the Catholic church teaches. And the number of people who called me heretics in the comments, I was like, y'all, I literally said, I believe everything the Catholic church teaches. So you don't get to call me a heretic because that word means something, right? You can't just make this up. Uh, but people, people are wounded. And, and they respond frequently in anger and suspicion and judgment and derision because they're wounded. And I, I try to receive those responses, again, honoring the dignity of the person that I'm encountering because someone doesn't have dignity just because they're historically marginalized by the church, right? They also have dignity when they are the ones marginalizing others. Absolutely. And I love that you've been kind of called to bring these people to to speak to them that because I feel like especially in the marginalized groups they might not feel welcome and they might not they feel excluded and that hurts to feel excluded but it seems like there's this really fine line of balancing you know you know Jesus said to turn the other cheek but he also flipped some tables so like he knew how to put up some boundaries and I just I feel like you're doing that really well and setting a really great example so thank you for that Thank you. It means a lot to me because it really, like, it just takes a lot out of me. The one-on-one in-person stuff, I'm like, look, I can be here for this all day. But when people are just like dehumanizing you on the internet, I'm like, I don't have to be doing this though. Like I could just, I could just get a regular job. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus is like, nope. Yeah. Everybody's a keyboard warrior, you know, (laughs) including me. Right. So I get it. I just, yeah, I, I just want to like print out some of the comments that I get and be like, okay, just so you know, like Jesus is going to, is going to read this out loud to you at your judgment. So like, if you can stand behind it, then I guess you have made your choice. But I think a lot of times we just don't consider the, the fact that we're, you know, I'm not like condemning anybody to hell for something they've said to me on Instagram, but like, 
God is reading your tweets, mm-hmm. right? And like he's and gonna, there's still a person on the other side of that tweet. He's gonna look at you and be like, "Really? That's that's the thing that you decided to use your life for." Hmm. Okay. Next tweet. You know, like I just, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get a side eye from the Blessed Virgin Mary over the things that I said on Instagram. I don't. So I. But, but I also, I sometimes go off and have to remind myself, like, there are human beings involved in this. And this is not, this isn't how we become a saint. Right, right. Yeah. So speaking of saints, you've written a lot about saints, both in your, on Instagram as well as in printed media. So has there been any that have, like, really stuck out to you or a favorite or do they come and go with the seasons in terms of, like, where you're at in life? Girl, man, there's so many. I mean, I'm just sort of. I'm sort of obsessed with the saints in general and with lots of individual states in particular. Right now I'm doing a lot of research into servant of God, Paul Shu Guangqi, who was a 16th and 17th century Chinese man. And there are tons of Chinese Catholic saints. There's 120 who died in China. And I, uh, I think nearly a hundred of them are native Chinese and every one of them is a martyr. And so a lot of times when you're speaking with people of Chinese descent, there's, there's this sense that you can't really be Christian and Chinese. You can't really be Catholic and Chinese. And I'm like, no, 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 but look at all these saints. And they're like, yeah, and every single one of them was killed for their faith because that seemed like a conflict with their Chinese identity. And I'm like, I mean, that's, that's a fair point. Um, but Xu Guangxi, who's a servant of God, so he's step one in the four-step process, he was basically prime minister of China as a Catholic and was not murdered. Like he just was amazing at being Chinese and was also amazing at being Catholic. And that's it. That's the story. And he was just like brilliant genius. And he was a military strategist. And he wrote a 60 volume work on agriculture. And he translated the first uh, work of Western mathematics into Chinese. And he was just like brilliant and incredible in all of these different ways. Uh, But to look at this man who just saw no conflict between his Chinese identity and his Catholic identity. And to see in him the witness of the way that it's possible for us to be fully rooted in our cultural identity, um, whether that's like an ethnic identity or whether that's, you know, because of some other group that we belong to, that's like really significant to our understanding of ourselves and to say that there's no conflict between that and the faith. Right. And this is something that that has always been a part of the missionary heart of the church, right? To, to encounter a new culture and say, okay, well, this, this culture is good, right? And the spirit is present here. And not only can they become Catholic, but they have something to teach us as a people, um, to teach the church that hadn't yet encountered this culture. And I just love this in Shu Guangxi. I also really love, so he's brilliant, right? Incredible genius. But he failed these really important examinations that were part of advancing in um, government service in China six times. For like 15 years, he failed these exams as a brilliant man who went on to become one of the most powerful people in the empire. And so to see that, to see perseverance when everything is going wrong to see that you can be brilliant and also a bad test taker at the same time. There's just a lot of elements of this man where I'm like, Oh, I, I need him to be canonized. (laughs) Right. I need, I need people to be able to look to him as somebody who trusted in the Lord when his life wasn't going the way that he expected it to. And you know, it helps that it all worked out for him nicely in the end where you're like, see, look, it can all turn out. Okay. But also knowing that, that ultimately he knew who he was in Jesus 
And if he hadn't gone on to pass that exam, if he hadn't gone on to become a leader in the Chinese government, if he had been martyred, none of those things would have negated the the beauty of living a life in Jesus. Wow, that's powerful. And I had never heard of that before. So I'm going to have to go look him up now because that sounds exactly like what I need in my life right now. And I hope somebody else (laughs) listening to this needs it too. (laughs) In the Catholic faith, mothers are held in very high regard. And we obviously want to continue to uphold their dignity and value. But what about women who will be attending the conference that aren't mothers? Maybe they're single or they aren't mothers yet, or God hasn't blessed them with the gift of children, or maybe they're called to consecrated life. How can women who aren't mothers embrace the Catholic faith and still feel valued? Ooh, girl, I love that question. Because I think that in so many ways, uh, secular society really denigrates motherhood uh, and denigrates marriage and is... You know, I think people feel very attacked in their motherhood and in their marriage. And especially maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or maybe you're a mom who's like taken a step back from your career and are no longer as focused on advancement in your career and you feel really devalued by society and you probably have people who matter to you telling you that you're making a stupid choice, right? That it's anti-feminist or whatever. And so because of that, we as a church work so hard to build up mothers and to build up marriage and to say what you do matters and it's so important it's so beautiful and oh my goodness it is and then there are those of us who are not physical mothers and who aren't married and you know we all we hear it seems from the church is the beauty of marriage and the beauty of motherhood and the importance and like all of these things for women are about being mothers. Um, And I am single and hoping to be married and have kids at some point. And so that puts you in like this complicated position, right? Especially because I'm almost 40. And and so like all of my peers are married and have kids. And so to, to try and figure out what does it look like for me to be a part of this community, for me to have relationships with my peers who are in such a different position in a church that's like, oh my gosh, we really need to value motherhood. And I think that I think it's something where we all kind of need to open our eyes a little bit and say, there are people who live differently from me and they have struggles that are different from my struggles and their struggles are valid and um, their their loneliness is valid. Um, and there's a deep loneliness that comes of being single and or childless when all of your friends have children. But there's a deep loneliness that comes of being married and having kids when it seems like all of your friends are in the workforce or even when everybody's. Maybe all of your friends are stay-at-home moms, but like life is just complicated and you live too far apart from each other and everybody feels isolated. Everybody feels alone. Everybody feels unseen. To recognize that ultimately the answer to that is the love of Jesus, but also that God gives us community so that we don't just have to say, well, Jesus loves me and so I'm okay, right? But we can reach out to our friends. And if you are a childless woman, to recognize that it's okay to grieve that. It's also okay not to grieve that, right? Like maybe maybe you're in a position where you're like, nope, this is really where I feel called and this is really a gift to me. Um, it's okay to voice your suffering or your joy to people who aren't having the same experience, as long as you also honor their suffering and their joy. Um, and I think that if we can recognize the ability to have friendship with people who are different from us, that's a huge first step. I mean, different generations, right? Like what a gift it is as a woman in my 30s to have friends who are in their 60s and and to know that I can benefit from their wisdom, but they also 
can benefit from me, right? That there's a mutuality there. Um, and I've got friends who are in their 20s and I've got friends who've got 10 kids and friends who don't have any kids and friends who are consecrated. And to say like, we don't have to limit ourselves to people who are exactly like us in order to have these relationships. And I think a lot of times that feels, it feels like being needy to say, I want you, I want to be friends with you in a way that's going to be difficult for both of us, right? Like if I'm single and working 60 hours a week, first of all, like self-care, you do not need to be working 60 hours a week, right? But like, if I have this like crazy work schedule and you are married and have a whole bunch of kids for me to say like, okay, can I just like show up on Tuesday nights and like help with bedtime and then we'll watch TV together after the kids go to bed, you know, or, or to say like, Hey, I know you've got this crazy schedule with all of your kids, but like Saturday mornings, can we grab brunch? You know, like, can we make sacrifices? Can we figure out a way that we can be present to each other? And for me, I just insert myself into everybody else's life. And I'm just, I'm just Aunt Meg and I'm just, you know, putting the kids to bed and I'm teaching people to walk and you know, like, I'm, I'm just part of life because that fits for me and it doesn't for everybody. But like, that doesn't mean that you don't belong in that relationship. It just means that people are going to have to, we're going to have to be creative in the way that we build community and what the women's group at our church looks like in what the women's conference looks like. Um, and so I really would invite anybody, whatever age you are, whatever state in life you are, this conference is not going to be focused on just one particular way of life and relating to Jesus, because that's not, that's not the reality of our church. That's not the reality of our call as women. And so to recognize that whatever state you're in right now, like God is working in that. And that doesn't prevent you from being in relationship with people who are in other states of life. We can honor the difficulties of marriage and motherhood and honor the difficulties of singleness and honor the difficulties of consecrated life and of infertility and of going through the adoption process and all of these things. We can honor all of those difficulties without feeling like anybody is having babies at us or having free time at us, you know, that it's like a, a combative thing because, well, I get to sleep through the night, but you get to snuggle somebody in the morning, you know, like, no, it just, we can say like, there are hard things about both of our lives and there are blessings about both of our lives and we can figure out a way to be in community. That is amazing. And I feel like so many women need to hear that because I remember my husband and I were in a pretty significant infertility journey before we conceived my first son. And I remember like going to church, especially on Mother's Day, it was like the worst Ooh. because all the mothers would stand up and get carnations. And I'm sitting over here like crying because like I wanted to be part of that so bad. Then we had my son and I was in the thick of postpartum depression. I stayed at home and being on the other side is just as lonely. So or like my husband would come home from work and tell me about everything that he did that day. And I'm like, I changed 36 diapers. And that's all I have to add to this conversation. So I <laughs> I feel like you're right. I think women, that, that old saying, it takes a village, you know, and especially nowadays, like mothers have such a hard time or even just women in general, because we feel like we have to do it all. We have such a hard time asking for help that it's nice to have somebody just be like, no, this is what we're doing and we're going to make it work. We're going to make it work because that's what we as women do. We we make it work and we are so multifaceted that it's not, oh, you're a mother. That's all you do. Or, oh, you're a working woman. That's all you do. We can do everything. And we don't have to feel guilty Absolutely. about the areas where we struggle, right? Like I think it's very easy as you know, as a woman who's experienced infertility and then has conceived, you feel like I can't, I can't resent anything mm -hmm. about this. And I, this can't be hard and I can't 
wish that I had two free hours because like I, you know, this like, is what I, I asked feel... for. This is what I was praying. That's exactly. the guilt is so real. Exactly. And like, no, it's, it's okay to feel your feelings. I mean, I think all the time about St. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist and how she must've been just over the moon excited to be pregnant and also like really freaking tired. Right. And like, I mean, you know, like the, the strain that pregnancy puts on a body. Now imagine that you're like 60 years old and there's no painkillers. Right. Mm. Like this, this woman would have had the most difficult time and her husband can't speak. And everybody in the village is talking about her because, Oh my gosh, like, what are you doing this old and pregnant? This is weird. Right. And like everything is complicated and it's so delightful and it's so hard at the same time. And I always, I think of that as um, heavy blessings. I wrote an article on it once where I said, it's okay to be miserable, right? Like you, you can say, this is such a gift. And also, man, this is really hard. And I wish it weren't so hard at the same time. And I think that's true of all of our different states in life. And it's so valuable to be able to recognize the areas that are gift and to be able to recognize the way that that gift is unbearably heavy at the same time. And when we're doing that in community with people who are experiencing different gifts and different burdens, it helps us to feel grateful for the burdens as well as um, feeling grateful for the gifts. So what do you hope women attending the upcoming conference will take away from your presentation without giving too much away? <laughs> well, girl, I'm, I haven't written it. Uh, <laughs> I picked a topic. That's enough. Right? That works. That works. Um, and, and honestly, that's the way that's the way that I tend to work. I'll probably pray about it the day beforehand. I'll I'll go make my holy hour and Jesus and I will talk about it and we'll maybe figure out what I'm going to talk about and maybe we won't figure it out until I stand up and words start coming out of my mouth because I like to make sure that the Holy Spirit is in charge as much as I can and obviously I have lots of education and and study and backgrounds and I spend all this time in prayer and so that's sort of like the foundation. Lest anybody who's listening be like, she's just going to wing it. <laughs> I mean, kind of, but like, also I've got a couple degrees in theology and, you know, I've read the Bible 20 times. So like there, there's, there's some preparation that's gone into this. I mean, we're, so I think we're asking people to bring their Bibles. So bring your Bible and we're going to be breaking open scripture and we're going to be looking at what it, what it means to have an intimate encounter with Jesus. Um, and then talking about that in terms of the Eucharist. So my real hope is that people hear the love of Jesus in a really profound way and they hear an invitation to encounter him as bridegroom, um, to encounter him in in this reality, in this intimacy, not as sort of this like vague divine being, but as, as Jesus of Nazareth with smile lines around his eyes and scars on his fingers from working in the carpenter shop when he was a little boy who looks at you and sees you exactly as you are and chooses you out of everybody and loves you wildly knowing all that's gone before and knowing that all, knowing all that is to come and still gives himself completely to you so yeah i mean i just i want everybody to have a profound radical intimate encounter with jesus that changes their eternity that's all yeah no biggie it's fine it's, it's, yeah it's whatever yeah thank you so much for listening our goal at the diocese of harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey so if this episode resonated with you in any way the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC and clicking the make a donation button. 
Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.